STEM Minds. Welcome back to STEM Minds, brought to you by Student Circuit. Today I'm joined by Paul Graham, Director of UK Engineering at Matrix Software. Paul has 28 years experience in telecommunications and today we'll be discussing breaking into the industry and what he looks for as a hiring manager. Paul, thank you so much for being this week's podcast guest. How are you doing? I'm great, Kira. Thank you. It's a privilege to be speaking to you. Brilliant. Well, I can't wait to get stuck in. From my research then, I've seen you've had a pretty extensive career. Could you give me a bit of an overview of how you ended up in your current role and what it is you're doing now? Yes, yeah, certainly, Kira. In the 80s, when I was growing up, I was very much interested into electronics and computing. I even told my headmaster when I was 11, I wanted a career in software. Nowadays, this doesn't seem so radical, but back in 1981, nobody's seen a computer before. So I knew back then I wanted to be in computing electronics. My father and grandfather were engineers, and that's the path I wanted to go down. So over the course of the 80s, I kind of studied electronics and physics and maths and those sort of things. I then did a degree in electronics at Southampton University, completed that in 92. And then I decided what I wanted to do next was telecommunications. I did MSc, Aston University in telecommunications. And the key piece of advice on this one is go for courses with student placements. This course had six-month placement at BT in Mardisham Heath, the main research centre. From that, I got the job with BT doing intelligent network and voice and leading to distributed computing. I did that for three years. And then somebody I was working with left. I didn't hear from him for two years. And he came back and he had a startup called G8 Labs. I joined the startup. It was sort of mid-90s. Things were sort of heating up, going a bit crazy. And I went to G8 Labs. We had a great time. And over a period of 13 years, it grew from us, who was an eight-person company, up to 500 people. And the bid I was in was sold to Oracle about 2010. So... I learned a lot over that period, got a lot of experience. And because the product was sold to Oracle, I then had expertise on an Oracle product. I went out there back to our customers, somebody in Tolina, and I worked for them for two years, advising them on vendors. And eventually we decided we need to replace something. So I went out there and I found Matrix and I developed a relationship with Matrix software and discovered that some of my experience, the people I knew, had the right fit for what they wanted to do next. So I built the team for Matrix here in the UK, actually back at BT Research Centre, which is now a kind of a science park. And I'm now back there again where I started back in 1994. So that's how I am where I am now. And we're now into cloud native and 5G and all that good stuff, which is the place to be in this industry. Wow, lots to unpack there. I've got to ask though, why telecoms for you? Why was that where you wanted to kind of head Yeah, okay. So telecoms, my dad had actually worked for BT as well, but back in the day, in the 90s, it was the growth industry, right? Um, We're talking period where mobile phones were coming in and there was a lot of opportunity at that time. I was pioneering mobile data, something we all take for granted nowadays, but back then we were working on the original systems. And once you have a key skill, it's very difficult to move away from it because that's where your personal value is. I like that. I like that answer. Do you think coming from a family of engineers then is kind of the main reason why you followed in those sort of footsteps? Almost certainly, because both of my brothers do the same sort of thing. They're in the software. And when you're brought up in an engineering background, you learn, you think about it and you you get steered in that direction. You end up doing sort of technical subjects, technical degrees. And yes, it it does have a bearing on what you end up doing in engineering. 
And is there sort of a specific moment where you think your interest in STEM was kind of sparked? I'm always interested to know if if anything sticks out to everybody. Yeah, yeah. I completely pinpoint the moment, almost the day in my life when I decided I wanted to go into computing. I was about eight or nine. We were asked to write a project. I came across the book, How It Works, the computer, and I did a project on the computing. And from that moment or discovering that book and reading it, I decided I wanted to be in software and computing without doubt. And maybe I can get to find somebody else around me at that time to vouch for that. Well, that's a young age as well to be kind of finding your interest. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And if you know what you want to do early, you really can be successful, right? It drives you. It's your North Star. You can really focus. And for me, career advice is know what you're passionate about and focus on it. It carries you all the way through. It carries you through GCSEs, A-level degrees, and will get your final job. Because as a recruiter, the number one thing I'm looking for is passion in the subject. I think that's brilliant advice. Well, that leads me on to my next sort of point, which is obviously the industry is a big and scary place for many. I'm sure you'll agree. And this is completely heightened for those um, taking their first steps in technology. So could you discuss breaking into the industry as a graduate or apprentice or school leaver? Yeah, I can. So the first thing you absolutely need is a piece of good work experience, right? And it uh, doesn't matter where it is, who's it with. As a recruiter, you're always looking for somebody with work experience, that's commitment and longevity in the subject. So find somewhere that's going to give you good mentoring. That's key. When you go for a job, it's a two-way thing. You want to check them as well. Do the people come across as they're going to help you, mentor you? Do they have success in the past of people going through their placements and schemes? And just find somewhere where for six months you can really learn the ropes, right? where you can, you've got people around you who want to teach you and really get your head down and learn the core competences of what you want to do, whether it's software, QA, digital design, all these kind of things, right? You need to spend a good six months just learning it. And from there, you can then go to the next step. What about those who are kind of finding it difficult to get their foot in the door and get that piece of experience that they need? Yeah, that's a good question, right? Because you don't always find that first opportunity. Another one is the open source software movement, right? There's lots of open source software that you can contribute to. And it's becoming increasingly common now if you want to go into software as part of the interview process to ask what you contributed to an open source or show us your GitHub repository, show us the software you've done. So if you can't find that initial placement, then work on something that's commonly available in the public domain in open source. And that's also a good step. Spend a few months volunteering to one of these software projects. And believe me, if you get the right one, people will come running for you once you've got that experience. That's good. That's always the aim, isn't it? (laughs) Are there kind of any other ways that people can make their own experience? Because I know in obviously lots of other fields, it's quite easy in marketing, for example, you can set up your own Instagram account and kind of build a community. But what can you do in STEM? Okay, in STEM, you can build websites, you can volunteer to build, go to a charity or find an organization that wants somebody to manage their website and build up their social media presence. That's fantastic. As a volunteer, that's something else people look for, right? So there's plenty of non-technical organizations looking for technical support. So websites, social media presence, maybe an app, right? I mean, that's a very good one. Maybe you can find a volunteer organization a charity or a sports club that wants an app developed. And that's another way of getting in, right? Okay, you're giving up some of your free time, but it's worth it in the end. You're investing in yourself. And once you've demonstrated something very competent with a bit of experience, then people will more likely employ you. 
Definitely. What are your kind of thoughts on having to take unpaid work to get that experience and get your foot in the door? Have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I personally, I would never expect somebody to work for me for free, right? If somebody's doing quality work, they should be paid. However, there's always that getting that first piece of experience, right? You can't really get away from that. And yeah, don't work for somebody for free, but there's plenty of voluntary and charitable organizations that you could do stuff in your own time for them, right? I mean, it is a chicken and the egg. When we employ people, we do want very competent software engineers proving themselves. But I think a happy compromise between doing something where you should be paid for, but needing to get a bit of experience, I think a a charity or a volunteer type organization will always I mean, I give my time to lots of voluntary type of organizations. And by doing that, I actually build up my own experience. I've been involved in, you know, kids rugby, helps in management. I'm now in public speaking while I'm teaching people public speaking. But I've learned a lot doing that through the kind of management side of things. Yes, that's kind of another thing people can do, maybe get involved in mentoring, perhaps, and public speaking in the sector, maybe to even add to their experience, I guess. I'd really recommend that. Yeah, it's not all technical stuff. A technical person must communicate. Public speaking is definitely something worth getting into, but also just sharpening your management skills and people leadership skills, right? Go along to a sports club or something and learn how that works. Get involved in the organisation and the committees there. That's how you pick up these key skills. And what sort of skills do you think are often overlooked when you're hiring these engineers and these people in STEM? Yeah, okay. The the two things I've mentioned is the people management skills and the soft skills like public speaking and communication. We don't expect everybody to go out there and speak at conferences with hundreds of people in front of you, but you do need to be able to communicate. You know, even if you're a software engineer, the, the biggest frustration you see with software people is having good ideas, but they cannot communicate them to other people or get groups of people on their side building their their ideas and software so communication really is number one you must work on communication usually means public speaking and again you can give your time for free to go out into the community and give them talks on these things i do a lot in the cloud community i'm down at cloud native london tomorrow night giving a talk to them i'd recommend honing your skills as a public speakers and communicators by going out into these meetup groups and giving talks I think that's brilliant advice. So as a hiring manager, you must come across, obviously, lots of applications from graduates and students. And what is the biggest way that people can stand out in these application processes? It's always the key skills. Make sure the key skills come out, what we're looking for. It's never to be a, a, you know, a software language or a key technology. At the moment, it's, it's cloud native for us. But also, it's the work experience really pops out to you. Right. Strangely enough, the qualifications, you go to them, but you, they're not the first thing you go to. I judge people on things like yeah, passion in the in the industry. So do you use something called a Raspberry Pi? That's a, or the hobbyist thing, right? Have you got a bit of curiosity in that area? Is it more than just nine to five? Do you demonstrate that you really show an interest in, in the field? That's the first one. Yeah, and good work experience, right? Really emphasize your work experience if you have some. Obviously, as we discussed previously, people might not have work experience, right? But then it's about showing anything you've contributed to, so in the open source community. That's what we're looking for, right? It's real experience, passion, and staying power, I'd say. Staying at things is important as well. I think that's a brilliant point about making sure your passion comes across because obviously that is vital in any sort of industry, especially one so more technical. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, typically software people, they come through this route of 
they've discovered it themselves, right? Software is very accessible to everybody. You, you don't need lots of expensive equipment. You just need a, a laptop or a PC and you could be writing software. And most people, that's the route they come through. You know, they've discovered it themselves. They've experimented. They've worked on their own project. And that shows passion because passion and commitment are the two things we really look for in people. Definitely. So what else kind of makes a CV stand out to you? Yeah, I'd say a good a progression from having studied to developing the skills to work, having worked on some significant projects. I'm going through processes in, in the IET at the moment, and one of the things they really look for is that, is that progression, right? If you make it to chartered engineer, they're always looking for certain competences, and we're looking for those kind of competences in, in a CV as well. Good engineering foundation. I say passion again. Okay, I will keep saying that because it's so important. And then staying power in, you know, don't be seen to be jumping around too much. We know that to have done something significant, there's a minimum period to have worked on something. You can see that in a CV. How long has somebody worked on these things? Somebody's been around a couple of months on something. They probably haven't done too much. But somebody who's been somewhere for six months, a year, two years, that demonstrates longevity and the ability to stick at something. And that is definitely something we look at as well. And what is your sort of biggest advice to someone who might be in a different career right now, but is thinking, actually, I want to work in STEM, what would you say the first step that they should do is? Yeah, that, that's a very good question, because I'm involved in a local university here, University of Suffolk, and they have conversion courses. For people who have absolutely no software skills or STEM skills to convert, and if you're going to convert, then you've got to put a little bit of time, your own time, I think, into discovering software for yourself. As I say, most people come into it have found it they've done their own experimentation and teaching and the best way is yeah I mean, I mean if you're new to the industry you probably don't know how the entire software thing works right you don't know that there's lots of open source software out there that you can play with so go out there find open source download the software look at it and experiment with the software yourself right but that, that's a very good point actually because yeah if you're in software you know where to go to get these things if you're not in software you probably don't appreciate how accessible most things are. You know, you can go and find yourself a web browser to experiment with or you know, a compiler or something, all for free. And go and find this sort of stuff, look at it and experiment with it yourself. Also, there's plenty of online tutorials, right? Of course, go to YouTube and look for the talks and tutorials on there and, and those type of places, right? To get a, good, get a good start, learn about it and get a foot in the door. I think it might be a good time also to mention the power of LinkedIn. I've spoken about that with another podcast guest a few weeks ago, but kind of making connections to people that would be valuable to you, the people, you know, that talk about industry news and things like that, and then joining a few groups. Yeah, that is so important. Networking, as in the people networking, will get you a job sometime in the future, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm going out there. I go. I give talk to these groups. Of course, if I come across somebody interesting who shows a bit of passion, I will pursue them further. I'm always looking out for people to hire. I'm always building out my, my career pipeline with other people. And yeah, if you go out to these events, get to know key people, that will pay you big dividends in the future. It really will. You always remember somebody who's very good when you come across them. They always stand out for some reason. Maybe they're pleasant. They're good communicators. And again, show passion in what you're doing. Ask good questions. And yeah, that will deliver if you pursue that route. Definitely. And then I kind of just wanted to touch on if you've got some interview advice for people, because I know for everybody, interviews kind of are big, scary, daunting, especially with them switching to being online. And then now most people are going back to having them in person. What is a couple of your biggest interview tips? 
Yeah, the first thing is actually make sure you know what you've written down on your CV or your cover letter. You know, know it inside out. Don't go in unprepared. Expect detailed questions on the areas you've said you know. Don't put something on your CV that then don't know it. If you put you understand C++ on your CV, make sure you understand C++ because we will give some very tough questions in that area. Make sure that the experience you've defined, you can talk through in detail. It's very easy to see when people fake this because the thing I will go for is what was your toughest challenge, right? I know if I ask somebody on a software project or some experience, what was your toughest challenge? There's always something they can talk about. And it's very difficult to make that up on the spot, right? You know when somebody's talking has actually done the experience they've described because you can talk it through end to end. They can talk about the issues they've had and the problems they've had to resolve because every software project has problems and issues and that's a telltale sign of whether somebody's done that or have, hasn't done it but yeah just be very pleasant show respect to the person you're interviewing do research on the company that's another one i come across people not researching the company all companies are online now there's always details about them and try and come in with two or three very good questions about the company you know show a bit of interest in the company and that, that's something else right good, good thorough research before the interview is essential have you got any questions that are your favorite to be asked during an interview that you could perhaps share with everybody okay yeah that, that's a very good one usually people ask about our customers that's a very good who are your customers where are they how long are they being with you? That's all in public domain, so we can answer that. How long have the company been around and how did it form? And at what growth stage of the company is it? A startup would go from a couple of people to tens of people to hundreds of people. Is, is it is it getting money from investors or is it self-sustaining from its own revenues? Those are good questions. And what kind of internal training programs do you have? That's another good one, I'd say. Find out how they're going to train you and develop you. That's brilliant. I'm sure that will be so helpful for everybody. Well, whenever I've had interviews, I find I always go in with the questions that I need, but then I kind of second guess myself when I'm going to ask them if they are good questions. So it's nice to have a few set out there in stone that you think is great to be asked. Always be ready with those questions, right? That means you've done some work beforehand. Definitely. Well, before we wrap things up then, Paul, is there anything else you'd like to touch upon? Right. I would just say it doesn't matter where you are in your career. You can always be learning and training, always be adapting. Don't sit on a technology that you learned 10 years ago and hope it's going to carry you through to your career. I'm learning about cloud native Kubernetes 5G now, even though I've been in the industry for 28 years. And it's actually good to always be learning something new. And the final point is always be passing on your skills to somebody else. So always be mentoring. If you're two years into your career, well, there's somebody starting out who wants to know about those two years you've experienced. So be prepared always to pass that information on. Brilliant. Thank you so much. There's so much to unpack from this episode. So much valuable advice. And people don't have any excuse now not to go and absolutely smash their applications and their interviews. Thank you so much, Paul. Great, Kira. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you, Dan. STEM Minds.